the depths of God's Word are unfathomable. Every passage of Scripture bears much potential. Every passage of Scripture teaches more than one truth. And as we are illumined by the Holy Spirit of God in the study of His Word, always there is something new and fresh. From Mark chapter 6, there are many sermons which could be preached. There are many truths which could be taught. But I have been struck by one theme in the study of this chapter. The theme is the cost of integrity. Integrity is an overworked word. It is a word that has been cheapened as revelation after revelation, time and again, has proven that men who gained the public trust through promise of integrity were nothing but self-serving and corrupt. Integrity has been cheapened by people using the term and then demonstrating by their lives that integrity was not as important to them as was acceptance, as was getting along, or as was making everybody happy. Everyone talks about integrity. I genuinely believe that most people want to possess integrity. But the question is, who will be willing to pay the price of integrity? A man of integrity can seem cold-blooded. A man of integrity can seem ruthless because he is not willing to let his convictions and the Word of God go in order to make people happy. Jesus Christ was just such a man. Matthew, Mark chapter 6 rather deals with integrity and what it cost Jesus and his forerunner, John the Baptist. Notice first of all in verses 1 through 6, integrity can cost favor. Now in these verses, Jesus is gone home to Nazareth. There he uh, declares without compromise the Word of God. There he declares without fear or favor God's message. And they just can't handle that kind of straight teaching from a hometown boy. No town was ever so blessed as Nazareth. Can you imagine having had God in the flesh living in your town for 25 years? No town was ever so blessed as Jesus, as Nazareth was. Jesus Christ had lived among them, had been exemplary, had been the kind of man that everybody ought to be in front of them for 25 years. This is the second time he comes home. His first trip is recorded in Luke chapter 4. And this reveals that integrity can cost you the favor of people around you. Notice in verses 2 and 3 several things. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this given to him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters with us? And they were offended at him. Notice first of all, nobody can escape criticism. If you will only love and trust those people who are not criticized, you will not even love and trust God. For no one is above criticism. 
Jesus Christ not only never did anything wrong, He never did anything questionable. He never did anything out of the way. And yet, from the very beginning of His ministry, His critics were on Him every day. Not because there was anything wrong with His transmitter, there was something wrong with their receiver. Nobody can escape criticism. And notice further that prejudice will, will sacrifice truth because of the instrument that brings truth. Prejudice will sacrifice truth because of the in instrument that brings truth. What he said was true. He began to teach God's Word to them. And they were offended not because of what he said, but because of who he was. Notice how everybody has the tendency to undervalue the familiar. Here was the most magnificent man that ever lived. And yet, they were offended at him because he was familiar to them. And notice that they dishonor God by denying the power of God to use whomever he pleases to transmit his word. It has pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to spread His Word to the hearts of men. And God strikes many a straight lick, the saying goes, with a crooked stick. God may choose and call and use whomever He pleases, but for some odd reason, the devil has been able to convince many of God's people that it is not the Word of God that is pr primary, it is rather the instrument which brings the Word of God. God has chosen to use men to spread His Word. And with the exception of Jesus Christ, none of those men is perfect. And the imperfection of the messenger gives no right to anybody to rebel against God's Word. Notice they dishonored God by denying His right to use whom He pleases to spread His Word. Integrity may cost, may cost the favor of men. And verse 4 says, Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. Familiarity breeds contempt. They were blinded by the years of familiarity to the magnificence of God's Son. And then notice this. True ministry... Get the phrase, true ministry is not always successful. Any way you want to measure success as we measure it today, Jesus Christ was a failure. Any way you want to measure it, He was a failure. He was a failure at Nazareth. He lost favor with the people. The public turned against Him. The government crucified Him. But yet, dare we say that He was a failure? True ministry is not always successful. It was not a lack of power that kept Jesus from doing wonders at Nazareth. Notice verse 5. He could do there no mighty works except that he healed a few, and he marveled, verse 6 says, because of their unbelief. Even God's Son, Jesus Christ, 
was no more effective as a leader than were his followers. And when there was unbelief and an unwillingness to follow, he could do nothing. Integrity, though, was what Jesus was going to maintain. And he did not tone down his message to win the favor of the people of Nazareth. Integrity may cost favor. Notice it says that he began to teach them. They did not encourage him to continue. And then notice in verses 7 to 13, integrity may not only cost you favor, it may cost you fellowship. In verses 7 to 13 is the record of the Lord Jesus sending out his disciples to preach. Jesus knew that his work came first. No one understood him. We've seen that in Mark chapter 3. His family and his friends were not sympathetic. They thought he was crazy. And these disciples of his were not much, but they were all that he had. And yet, for the sake of his work, he had to send them away. He was concerned for them. Notice that he sent them out two by two to do their work, verse 7 says. For he knew that two people together assigned a task like this will do more work. Two people together will support each other and help each other and carry each other's burdens. But notice that the integrity of Jesus, his commitment to his work, cost him the fellowship even of his friends. And then integrity may not only cost favor, it may not only cost fellowship, but notice in verses 14 to 29, integrity may cost freedom. Now verse 14 begins the story of the death of John the Baptist. John the Baptist declared without fear the word of God to the king that the king had no right to marry his brother's wife and to live with her. Because of his new bride, Herod imprisoned John the Baptist. He was afraid of John. He had some sense that John, he had some understanding that John was a man of God and he was afraid of him, but he was more afraid of his wife. And he had put him into prison. He heard him often. John preached to him. He called John to him. And though he was not converted, he was listening to John the Baptist. His wife kept trying to get him to behead John, but she couldn't do it. And then at the occasion of a great feast, his wife's daughter danced for him the sensuous dance of that part of the world. And he, enlivened with passion, promised her anything that she asked. And her mother bade her ask for the head of John the Baptist, which she did, and it was delivered. Herod heard John the Baptist. I want you to notice this. He heard him. He listened to him. But he was lost. He feared John. He heard what he had to say. There was even some response in his heart to John. And yet there was no conversion. How near, but how far away. Now the occasion of Mark's telling us this story is the fact that when Jesus burst on the public scene and began to work wonders, people said, this man must be a prophet. Elijah or one of the other prophets. 
But Herod thought to himself, No, it is John the Baptist whom I murdered who has been raised from the dead. Notice the amazing power of conscience. The book of Proverbs says, The wicked flee when no man pursues. Nobody was after Herod. God had not raised John the Baptist from the dead. But notice the amazing power of conscience. And he responded as a sinner usually does when his conscience is pricked. He struck out at the nearest thing to him. The amazing power of conscience. His memory was stirred. He remembered that night of reveling and drinking and that night when the prophet's blood dripped from his severed head. And he said, Surely this man, Jesus, is the one whom I murdered. And notice what the crime of John the Baptist was. His crime was the truth. He was guilty of integrity. He was guilty of daring to speak God's word and refusing to change his message just because Herod and his wife didn't like it. And it cost him his freedom. The ultimate cost, of course, after imprisonment was his head. And Herodias thought that she had won the victory. What she did not know was that her enemy had merely laid down an imperfect carcass and gone to be with the Lord. And the victory was his. This story, along with the reaction to Jesus in Nazareth, ought to teach us something. Listen very carefully. This is very important. Never be surprised when faithful Christians are persecuted. Never be surprised when people who love and honor God are accused, when they are mistreated, when the world reacts to them. That's part of the plan, folks. Jesus said in Luke 6, 26, Woe be unto you when all men speak well of you. And if being non-controversial, if being tame and quiet and making no enemies is the definition of a saint, then Jesus Christ doesn't qualify. And neither did John the Baptist. Many of God's people are above reproach. They live exemplary lives. They live godly lives. They do not commit gross sin. But nobody is beyond accusation. Nobody is beyond accusation. Never be surprised when faithful Christians are maligned and persecuted and mistreated. <clears throat> For integrity may cost freedom as it does many places on the earth today. Indeed, there may come a day when Christian integrity in the United States may cost our freedom. And then notice in verses 30 through 33. Integrity may cost fatigue. In verses 30 through 33, the disciples have come back from their preaching mission and Jesus is trying to get them a little time off. He's trying to take them off on a vacation, but their vacation plans go awry. J. Oswald Sanders 
in a very fine book entitled Spiritual Leadership, makes the statement that the world is run by tired men and that one of the prices of leadership is fatigue. I believe that that is true. Everyone must rest. If we rested more, there would be fewer physical and emotional breakdowns. There would be fewer men in the prime of their lives cut down by heart attack if we rested. Jesus, in his consideration for his men, was trying to get them a little rest. Verse 30 says, The apostles gathered themselves unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert ship by sh place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and out went them, and came together unto them. The world is run by tired men. Jesus' vacation plans went awry. But notice, first of all, after his men had gone out on their mission, that they reported to Christ how we need to do that. When you need to talk to somebody about your ministry, about the course of your Christian life, about your success or your failure, about your happiness or your frustration, talk to Jesus. We need to talk to Him. I have found it very useful in dealing with people who were troubled and discouraged and depressed. And as I counsel often, I suggest this. Why don't you just go over here by yourself for a little while, take a pen and paper, and just write God a letter about the whole thing. Just sit down sometimes when you must talk to somebody, when the frustrations are great, just sit down and let it all out. Write every word of it down. Write God a letter. The first thing that they did was report to Jesus, and that is what we need to do. Notice how considerate He was of them. He knew that they had to cultivate their own souls so he did his best to take them apart privately for a rest. But the crowd was so thick that they could not even eat. A Christian has no right to do his own thing. A Christian has no right to try to please anybody until he has tried to please God. I have lived in a fishbowl all of my life. And yet my parents, as we grew up, communicated to us not resentment, but joy that God had called my daddy into the ministry. And I have understood all of my life that I have no privacy, that I live before the world. And though I am not perfect, I have accepted that responsibility. And there is no shame, no skeletons, nothing to be hid because from an early age my parents taught us that we live before a world that has every right to examine us because we belong to Jesus. And so it is with every Christian. 
You have no right to do your own thing. The cost of integrity may be the favor of those around you because people become hostile and angry when you will not do exactly what they want you to do regardless of what God wants. And if you will be a person of integrity, you will realize that you will please your master and to him you will stand or fall. Integrity may cost you fellowship. The integrity of God's people often demands that they serve Him as He wants them to. It may mean that you may miss the fellowship of a wonderful Sunday school class because God wants you to go yonder and teach somebody who needs it in another class. It may mean in the course of your life that God would move you from one place to another through your job perhaps or through a call to ministry. And those times of separation are always difficult. Ten years ago, my father died very suddenly. And when Daddy died, I was pastoring a little country church in, a, in what had been a railroad whistle stop in the wilderness of South Arkansas. Daddy died in March. The middle of May, I had to leave that little church for my family broke up and uh, housekeeping. Mother left Arkansas and so did I. And the pain of separation was greater from that little church than it had been from my father. The pain of separation is never easy. But if you are going to be a person of integrity, it may cost you the fellowship of those whom you love. If you are going to be a person of integrity, it does indeed cost you your freedom, for you forfeit the right to do your own thing. And you assume the responsibility to obey God. And it will cost you fatigue. For if you're a person of integrity, there will always be something to be done. There will always be another task. There will always be another need that you as God's person can meet in the life of someone else. Integrity... Everybody wants it. But will you pay the price for integrity? It will cost you. It cost Jesus. It cost John the Baptist. And if we desire integrity, we will stand to our Lord and not to public opinion. We will march to the tune that He beats and not to the tune that is piped by the world and though it may cost all of these things there awaits the Christian of integrity the affirmation of his Lord who says well done thou good and faithful servant the cost I do not know what it might be for you but it will be high do you desire integrity? Will you pay for it? May we pray. Father, your word doesn't pull any punches, doesn't hide anything, and that's kind of frustrating from time to time. Lord, we just seem to think that the world's going to roll over and play dead because we're Christians.
Teach us that that's not true. Teach us that when we have no opposition to our commitment to Jesus, that we're not doing anything because you've promised us that Satan will see that the world reacts to us when we follow you wholeheartedly. Father, it's not easy, but you never said it would be. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit will stir our hearts into commitment, that you will challenge us to follow you more closely, that we will not turn and go away from you, that we will not avoid the conflicts of the Christian life because it's going to be tough. Father, I'd rather be in your will and have you by my side than be in a bed of roses without you. And Father, I just pray that you will preserve us, that you will, as Scripture promises, encamp round about us because we fear you. And I thank you that you'd do with us today what you please. I pray in Jesus' name.